It's Girl the Heck Up. Good morning. I'd like to talk about, did I, did I title this? Did I title this? Let me make sure. Oh, Black Immigrant Achievement. Oh, of course, my man Gregory PKR uh, would pop up in here. So obviously, you guys know I'm a huge fan of the triple package. You know, every time I find a book that I think is worth, worth it, I've been adding, well, not really. I probably got about six must-read books that I consider essential um, outside of the Bible. So this is this book, Triple Package. I'm a huge fan of it. I was on my second time listening to it, and I had to go and get it. So let me read an excerpt to you this morning before I get on my way. Um, so if you don't know, I'll say this again. The triple package is about the rise of, uh, it's about how three, um, unlikely traits explain the rise and fall of cultural groups in America. Those groups include Nigerians, Liberians, Asians, Indians, uh, Jews, and also Mormons are in that number too, but there are eight groups that they chronicle. So let me read this excerpt to you really quickly. Share this. If you think it's going to be beneficial to someone, if you think someone needs to hear this, it says the disproportionate success of certain West Indian and African immigrant immigrant groups as compared with the non-immigrant African um, African American blacks has been the subject of intense debate for some time. Although immigrants make up only 8% of America's black population, their overrepresentation at America's best universities and on Wall Street is well known. Hard numbers, however, are surprisingly hard to come by. Ivy League universities, for example, every year announced that African American percentage of their incoming class... Oh, excuse me, uh, announced the African-American percentage of their incoming class, but they will not disclose how many of these students are from immigrant families or provide national origin information about them. Investment banks are in general extremely secretive about who works for them. They don't make public any information about the racial composition of their employees. As a result, researchers are obliged to rely on sample surveys and sometimes um, consigned to poring over lists of surnames trying to decide which ones sound African. Check this out. The most comprehensive and reliable survey on the black immigrant presence at American universities conducted by Princeton sociologist Douglas Massey in 1999 indicated that 41% of black Ivy League freshmen had at least one foreign-born parent. In 2004, Harvard professors Henry Louis Gates and Lonnie uh, Geiner asserted that asserted that by their reckoning, a majority of Harvard's black students were immigrants or their children. Today, if Yale Law School is any measure, the overrepresentation of first and second generation black immigrants at top U.S. schools may be even higher. In the first year class of 2011 and 2012 at Yale's Law, at Yale Law, 18 students out of the total class of 205 were members of the Black Law Students Association. Of these 18 students, only two were African American. A term we'll use um, unideally to refer to blacks in the United States who are neither immigrants nor children of immigrants. On both sides, on both sides, excuse me, of the other 16, three were Nigerians, two were Ethiopian, one was Liberian, one Haitian, one half Ethiopian and half Jewish, one half Haitian and half Korean, one half Jamaican and half Puerto Rican, one half Panamanian and half African American, and one half Swedish and half African American. In all, in all, 12 of the 18 had at least one foreign-born parent. Among black immigrants, Nigerians are the largest and most successful group. In 2010, there were some 260,000 Nigerians in the U.S., a mere 0.7% of the black American population. Yet in 2013, 20 to 25% of the 120 black students at Harvard Business School were Nigerian. As early as 1999, Nigerians were overrepresented overrepresented among black students at elite American colleges and universities by a factor of about 10. 
As Nigerians graduate from these schools, they have predictably flourished. Nigerians have done particularly well in medicine. Overall, Nigerian Americans probably make up around 10% of the night of the nation's black physicians. They're 0.7% of the black American population and they make up 10% of, uh, of black physicians in America. Overall, uh, oh yeah, okay, so, and medicine may not even be the real Nigerian forte by comparison with other blacks in the United States. According to a PhD dissertation on high-achieving second-generation Nigerian Americans, Nigerians dominate investment banking. Or as one African-American analyst at Goldman Sachs recently joked, if only my life experience were at Goldman my impression would be that Nigeria must have a billion people because most of the black people I met here were Nigerian. In addition, Nigerians appear to be overrepresented at America's top law firms by a factor of at least seven as compared to the uh, as compared to their percentage of the U.S. black population as a whole. The success of Nigerians as well as Ghanaians and certain other African immigrant communities continues a trend observed decades ago in America's black West Indian immigrants. Sev anyway. So what do you think about that? What explains that? What explains Nigerian success? You know, it kind of makes you think about racism. You know, we we say that, you know, some, I've heard some people say, well, you know, when when people know that you're an immigrant, there's a different standard, you know, that you're judged differently and all this kind of stuff. What do you guys think makes the biggest difference in that? This is why. This is why what people are selling as solutions to the wealth gap and oppression and all this kind of stuff is such a just just such a victim narrative to me, you know, and people, because, you know, people might say, you said they have maintained a healthy culture. Somebody said parents. I hope I hope as you have your discussions about race, I hope you reckon with this. And I hope, you know, that there are white people. In positions of power, maybe they're just your co-worker at work. They may hear and see things like this. And they may even commiserate with you about your struggle as a black person. Oh, I understand. It's tough. Boo-hoo. Doesn't mean they really respect you. Bigger chip on our shoulders, more to prove. Brother Greg, I don't really know what to do with this information, and I'll kick this to you, MB. I don't, I don't know if you heard what I said on one of the other recent scopes about self-esteem. So in this book, um, Amy Chu and her husband, Jed Rubenfeld, she's Asian, he's Jewish. They talked about how Asians have the lowest self-esteem and achieve the highest, right? The biggest chip on their shoulder, most to prove, right? I'm like, all right, cool. So, so I, this is my second time through the book. Last week, you guys know if I if you watch on Scope, I went and got it. I was like, oh, I got to have this in my collection. This is a very important book. I have to have it. And so I'm so this Sunday that just passed. I remember because it was right before Nipsey Hussle. Um, before I got the word Nipsey Hussle died, right. And so I'm listening to Dennis Prager working on a project. And so Dennis Prager said one of the idiocies of the left. Another idiocy of the left is the self-esteem movement. He said, by the way, you know who has the, um, oh yeah, and this book also said that blacks tend to have higher self-esteem when surveyed, right? And you do whatever, you do with this information, whatever you want. But it wasn't in a, uh, let me just finish. So I'm listening to Dennis Prager on Sunday. He said, you know, self-esteem movement, the idi idiocy of the left, this, that, and the third. And he said, by the way, you know who has the highest, you know who has the highest self-esteem? Now, because I just finished reading this book again a week before, I'm like, oh, I know what he's about to say. Black people. 
You know what he said? He said, according to Baumgarter, I forget the I forget the sociologist's name, but Case Western University in Florida, world-renowned sociologist, psychologist, he did a study. Murderers have the highest self-esteem, and then he went on to say, um, how, by the way, how highly do you have to think of yourself to take another person's life? You think that you're you're valuable and they're not. Now, again, I'm just telling you what happened. That's just really how it happened. I'm listening to this book one week talking about Asians have the lowest self-esteem and blacks tend to have the highest, even though they uh, still struggle. And then Sunday, the guy's talking. It was organic. I didn't know what he was going to say. I'd never listened to the speech before. It was Dennis Prager. And he's talking. He's like, by the way, you know who has the low, the, the highest self-esteem? I'm like, oh, I just heard this last week. He's probably going to say black people. He said murderers. Perhaps we've overshot in trying to compensate for what oppression did by telling ourselves that, oh, we're kings, you know, like, you're black, and you know, you're powerful, your skin, and you know, just, you know, bestowing so much unearned value on our children, right, to compensate for the true and real oppression in society. Perhaps we've overshot with that. Perhaps we've overshot with that. Do whatever you want with that data. And please go. Anything I tell you, you're free to look look it up. You know, because... Oh, and then Dennis Prager went on to say something that... Again, I, I love Dennis Prager. He's definitely one of my go-tos if you're looking for somebody with wisdom to listen to. He's a Jewish guy, religious Jew, not a Christian. Um, he said, the only self-esteem worth anything is the self-esteem that is earned. And you guys know, if you've been listening to me, you know, I've been on that. I've been on some like, no, like, no, make yourself special. I don't believe in like inferior, superior. I believe you make yourself superior. I was talking to the kids yesterday. I was encouraging one of them not to litter. I'm like, I'm always clean. I'm like, I'm cleaning up after you. She was like, you clean this too and that too? I was like, yeah. She said, why? Like almost looking down on me because I cleaned up after them. I said, because I'm not a dirty person, so I can't exist in filth no matter what. And you can see all, all their countenances kind of like changed. They didn't realize like they left somewhere else dirty and left feeling clean. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I said, no, when you leave your dirt, I clean it up because I refuse to even be in filth, even if I'm not the one that caused it. Right. I was trying to I, with that statement, I was trying to transfer the onus and the responsibility on them for their environment and their surroundings. You know what I'm saying? And it's like. Perhaps we've overshot with and, and this is listen, this is not just black people either. You guys know white kids and their self-esteem and you're special when you're awesome. It's not just black people, but we have a particular set of experiences in this country that might cause the same bad idea to produce different bad results like the family in america is breaking down period so it's not just black families that are breaking down family in general is breaking down but again because we have a unique set of circumstances and experiences in this country in this country we're affected by it differently so you know when i single out something that's happening in the black community it's not always because we're the only ones doing it but again our experience and context in this world and i'm sure i've, I've said things about black people in the black community and i've had white people hit me up excuse me hit me in my inbox and say wow i grew up like that even though i'm not from the hood i grew up like that and i see how my parents put that in me so you know take it for what it's worth wisdom calls aloud you know anybody who would use this anybody who would use the things i say you know because people are scared to talk like this because they're like man what if people who are racist use this to listen man people who are racist don't need my periscope 
You understand? And people who are compassionate will not become uh, uh, less passionate. You know what I mean? Do something for Grow the Heck Up today. A lot of you guys who come in, you know, feel free to join the Patreon. Join for $5 a month, $25 a month, or give a donation at PayPal. PayPal for um, PayPal.me forward slash Grow the Heck Up. The link is in the bio. The link is in the bio. Do something for Grow the Heck Up today. If grow the Heck Up is a blessing. We're dedicated to maturity. Also, I, I was saying that some people, you know, are afraid that people will use this kind of thing to be racist. Racists don't need excuse, excuses to be racist. There are people who are well aware of these things and they remain understanding, humble and compassionate because they're understanding, humble and compassionate. But it is what it is, man. Make your kids earn their worth. Listen, I tell my kids, there's nothing I said, there's nothing more special about you than anyone else. You are uniquely, wonderfully made, fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. You have a fingerprint unlike anyone else. No one is like you, but the same goes for your classmates. So what are you going to do now? Right. That same value bestowed upon you. Right. It's you're infinitely valuable and unique. Sure. But so is the person standing next to you. Now what? Now make it worth something. Now do something with your uniqueness. Now earn something beyond the value that was bestowed upon you. Do something for Grow the Heck Up. Hit the link in the bio. Give a donation. Give me a shout. Let me know what's up. If you don't have anything to give, share something. Follow us on the platforms. We just hit 10K on Instagram. So we'll be able to connect videos now to our Instagram account in a different way. Uh, you have to give respect to get respect. Somebody said, I love listening to you, brother. I always learn so much. Hey, praise the God. Do, praise God. Do something for Grow the Heck Up, man. God bless you guys. The book is called The, tri tri the Triple Package. And if you can't wait to get the book, then you can watch her TED Talks and her interviews. Watch her TED Talk. Her name is Amy Chua. Amy, C-H-U-A. Her husband's a Jew. She's Chinese. Her husband's Jed Rubin, uh, Rubenfeld. She is a Yale professor. And she also has a new book out called Political Tribes, Tribal something. Anyway, I haven't checked it out yet. But yeah, this book is called The Triple Package. Definitely in my arsenal of must-have books. I have this, uh, this mindset, Richest Man in Babylon, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I got one or two others. But those are, you know, Think and Grow Rich. You know, those are some must-have foundational books, I believe, help live a fruitful, wise life out here in society in America. God bless you guys. Grace and peace. Talk to you soon. It's Grow the Heck Up. Yeah. Grow the Heck Up. Why don't you give me something that'll help me grow?